All right, welcome back to the Christian Tactician Podcast. I am your host, Adam Yates. Thank you so much for spending a couple of your moments here today with me. I'm uh, so grateful for the opportunity that I have to to be uh, to be in, involved in this work that I'm doing here and, and doing this podcast, trying to reach out, trying to call men to Christian manhood, trying to call them up higher from the expectations of the world to the expectations uh, that have been damaged throughout time of what a man should be, and and to call you higher to try to give you some some thoughts, some ideas, some scriptural reference to to the man that Christ calls us to be. Uh, this is something that you know I'm I just. I feel so much passion for this because I, I've, I've seen the need for it. I've seen the need for it in uh, in society throughout uh, some of the jobs that I've had throughout my lifetime. I've seen the need for it in our society when it comes to men who who are willing to stand up and, and be leaders and, and who are looking to help the rising generation, and that's what I'm hoping to do here. I want to begin by reminding you, as I do every single time, that our God is a God of purpose. He created you to be a man. He knew what He was doing when He created you. It wasn't a mistake. He knew exactly how to uh, create you and form you, and I do believe with my whole heart he put you in a position to be successful in life. doesn't mean that, that there's no effort required on your part, because there is. Right? But God is a God of purpose, and he knows what he's doing. And a God who is able to create someone in perfection, able to create them perfectly how he wants them to be and where he wants them to be, it's a God who has a plan for you. And if a God has got a plan for you, if he has a plan for you in your life, he has a way to get you there. Our job is to pursue that. Our job is to pursue that. But remember this always, no matter what anybody says, God knew what he was doing when he created you. It wasn't an accident. It wasn't a mistake. He created you on purpose, with purpose, for a purpose. Don't ever forget that. Don't ever forget that dogs also bark at what they don't know. We, we talk about this, I talk about this, and you know, it's a, it's not a statement that a lot of people, maybe uh, maybe they find themselves a little bit uncomfortable with it, but you know, if you think about uh, what it means, it means that, you know, people are, are genuinely afraid of something they don't understand. And, and as far as manhood goes, you know, it's something that over time has been changed, it's been watered down, it's been touched by the fingers of Satan, society declares manhood to be all sorts of different things, you know, and the, the various uh, aspects of our social culture, you know, manhood is considered to be someone who sleeps around, someone who has got a lot of money, someone who has a lot of respect from, from people around them because of their accomplishments and all that. And, and, and the more you look around and the more you talk to people, you more, the more you realize that, that that's insufficient for what they feel like a man should be. And so when someone like me comes around talking about Christian manhood, it can be a little bit frightening, but you have an opportunity because dogs also bark at what they don't know. But when they begin to see, when people begin to see what a true Christian man, a humble servant, a, a loving, uh, a friendly, a compassionate uh, leader, selfless, courageous, all of these things that, that we would throw out when we consider men, when they begin to see that in you, you begin to change opinions and you begin to set a different course, a different course for those who are around you. You, you start to give different expectations, right? You begin to, to be, because you are trying to measure up to Christ, people see that, and then they begin to look at your life and they, and they, will, they will look to measure up to that as well. Uh, and, and that's not to puff anybody up or to build anybody up. It's when you emulate Christ and when he is in your heart and he is working in and through you, people see it and they aspire to that. So I want you to remember that. I want you to remember the four aspects of a man that I feel like are so very important. A man is a man of action. He doesn't stand by idle. He is the one who is who is looking not for a fight, but he's looking to handle problems. He's looking to, to be active in the lives of those who are around him in his own life. If he sees a failure, if he sees a something as he as he examines himself, he begins looking at how to fix those things. If he doesn't stand up to the example and to the stature of Jesus Christ, he's looking to remedy that. 
He's looking to do that also in the lives of his family. He's going to be involved and he's going to look for, how can I bring them up higher? How can I call them higher? Where have where have I missed out perhaps and what do I need to do differently? This is what a man does. A man is a man of responsibility. He accepts the responsibility that was given to him when he was created. And as I began with, I told you that God created you with purpose. He knew what he was doing. And he gave you some responsibilities. He gave you responsibilities as a man. And a true man, a Christian man, he's not afraid of that. He accepts those responsibilities, but he goes beyond. He desires responsibility. He wants opportunity to be involved in the lives of others. He wants to be uh, helping to solve problems in the lives of others. He's into giving back. That's what it is. He's willing to take responsibility for others around him. He's not a man who says, oh, it's not my problem. Oh, it's just, you know, I'm, I'm only worried about me. He takes responsibility for himself and for others. He accepts it, and he desires responsibility. A man, a Christian man, is a man of leadership. He leads from the front, not from the back. He's not the one who's barking out orders. He's the one who's showing it to be done. There is a man in my life, one of the best mentors that I've ever had, and he's a man who always ate last. You you, you don't beat this guy to the back of a line. It's important to him to make sure that everybody else is put in front of him. That's what a leader does. A leader looks and 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 he's and he sets an example of service, of servitude, and he's the one who's who's leading the charge. He's the one who is showing the way. He's the one who is who is uh, making sure everybody else is cared for and taken care of and taken care of that's that's what a leader is a man is a man of leadership he's setting the standard setting the standard in his in his family he's setting the standard with those around him what he talks about what he doesn't talk about what he involves himself in what is worth his time a man is a man of leadership and that last one, that last aspect, the overall umbrella, the one that 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 helps us in all other aspects of being a man is a true Christian, Christ-like man, is a man of expectation. He's a man who, who has grasped a hold of a promise and of a hope that is in front of him that makes every trial, every drop of sweat, every drop of blood, all of those things worth it. The expectation Expectation is what has driven men throughout all of time to be willing to take up arms and to go and to fight for freedoms and country and all of those things, realizing that they might pay a terrible price for it, but being motivated by the expectation of something better that is worth their sacrifice. And as a Christian man, as a, as a man in general, you know, as, if you are not motivated by something that is greater, that is beyond, that you are reaching for and that you are, you are convicted in your heart is there for you in the future. If that's not something that is an underlying motivation for everything that you do, especially as your walk, as you walk as a Christian, if that isn't there, then you can't be a man. Because a man, a man of Christ, a man of God is a man of great expectation. There is something that is before us that makes all of this worth it. So those are the aspects of a man, and I want you to think about those things. I'm going to talk today. It is... uh, we are uh, about three weeks into, um, almost, well, not three weeks, we're almost a month into a quarantine. Uh, you know, a year from now, I'm hoping that that uh, everything I talk about here as far as coronavirus and all that is just a distant memory. But I do realize that when we're talking about adversity, and I'm going to talk in a roundabout way about adversity today, uh, and the day that I am recording this, the adversity of the day is is under the umbrella of the coronavirus, COVID-19. But a year from now, two years from now, when when some people may listen to this, there may be something completely brand new. It may be war, it may be, it may be famine, it may be, you know, there's always going to be some sort of adversity. 
But if you look at my title, what, I, what I've titled this is I've titled it Keeping It Level, and then Keep Calm and Carry On. And so I want uh, to, to talk here for a couple minutes. You know, right now in my life, I, I, I own a cabinet business. Now, because of this uh, coronavirus, business has completely died off. I mean, I don't have any business. But my business is, is I have a cabinet business, uh, cabinet, and I, and I uh, build them. Sometimes I do custom builds, and I'll actually build them from the ground up. Otherwise, I do have a line that I bring in and assemble, and then I install them. And so I do kitchen remodels primarily. You know, there's something that is interesting that you find uh, this is true of all homes, and I find this is this is true kind of in life. You know, there is no such thing as level. You you go into your home and you stick a level in various places on your floor, on your wall. You're going to find that there's some places where it's spot on, perfectly level. That bubble right in between the lines of your level, and other times, you know, it's going to go, uh, it's going to be leaning one way or the other. You're going to find that there is very little things that are actually truly square. You might have yourself as a as a woodworker or something. You might have a square, a speed square, a framing square, whatever it is. You know that has been mechanically calculated or 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 whatever to a stream extreme accuracy of of being square. Nine degrees. And you're going to find you start sticking that in various places, various corners and stuff like that around your home. There's no such thing as square. You know, as a, as a cabinet installer and a cabinet builder, you know, when I go in and I put cabinets into somebody's home, there is no excuse for me to put something in, for me to install cabinets that are not level. And now this, this can somewhat become a problem because you know, if you were to take a tape measure and you were to begin measuring from your floor to the top of your ceiling and you were to do it, say, every six or so inches across the, the extent of, let's say, your kitchen, you might find that on one end, uh, it might it might actually be, you know, an inch, two inches or so higher than on the opposite end. Or you might find that uh, at some point, it's it's less. You know, I've I've uh, done homes that you know the floor was just as wavy as the ocean, and the ceiling was too, and they didn't move at the same time. And I and I know guys who who do work back east. You know where there's a whole lot more humidity, and homes that are made out of uh, more wood and things like that. That that you end up having that all the time. And so you're putting your cabinets and all that in on on a floor and and putting them on a wall. Right, the walls are also oftentimes are not level. They they might uh, kick out in some spots. They might be sunk in in some spots. And you're trying to put something together, and there is no excuse for it to go in anything but level. You have to always keep it level. And it doesn't matter what else is going on in that room, on that ceiling, on that floor, on that wall. Your job is to install cabinets that are perfectly level. And uh, and then after you do that, then your job is to make sure that nobody knows, that nobody can see that everything else is not level. It's to blend what you've done into the background. And I've had times where I've put in cabinets and, you know, oftentimes your cabinets are not always going to go completely to the ceiling, right? And they might not have them go flush to the ceiling or put crown molding or something like that to the ceiling. And so after I've put in all of my run of cabinets, you know, and everything is dead nuts level, you step back and you look and be because that ceiling is going to drop in some places and come back up, it makes your your cabinets look like they're garbage. So you have to find some way to try to to try to to blend that together. But the point of all of it is 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 that you know, as a cabinet installer, as a cabinet builder, as someone who does that, there is no excuse for me to put together and to and to offer up a a finished product that is anything less than perfectly level. And it doesn't matter what else the 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 floor or the walls or the ceiling does. No matter how out of level, out of square, whatever it is. It's not an excuse for me to put anything out that is less than perfectly 
level. You know, that's something that I want you to think about because uh, one of these things that I've talked about throughout this podcast is how men deal with adversity and how they deal with trouble. And you know, at this moment in time, I found myself dealing with a new adversity. And it's not a concern about getting sick with the coronavirus or anything. It's the fact that now the economy is is in uh, complete turmoil. And where I've made changes in my career field and am doing these things, you know, we bought a business and it's been going and it's been going very well. And, uh, and I've been, been, you know, we have a good reputation and we have a good client base and, and business has been going well. And yet something completely out of my control yet again has happened. And I find myself in this place where I'm trying to figure out how I'm going to continue paying bills and how I'm going to continue putting food on the table for my family in the face of what all is going on around me. And so this, if you will, this whole situation that's going on with the coronavirus and all of that, it is the kitchen and I am the uh, person who is installing the cabinets in there. And so, and that is my life, and that is my family, and that is how I deal with all these things. And so, a Christian man that I'm trying to aspire to be and trying to work entirely, you know, my whole heart to be, there's no excuse for doing anything else but to install perfectly level my family, my life, everything that's going on inside of this room that is called the, the chaos that the coronavirus has caused. There's something that. Uh, you've probably heard a couple of times it's this statement called keep calm and carry on. And so if you do a little bit of research, you'll find that that was a motivational poster in World War II that was put that was uh, slated to be put out as a as a, a motivation for the British. As you, you see that there was this battle for Britain, there was this battle that was going on where Germany was in, involved in aerial battles and, and uh, severe bombing over England in the uh, late 1930s and early 1940s. And uh, this motivational poster actually didn't didn't see uh, very much widespread use. It was rediscovered again in the early 2000s. Somebody found it. But uh, it kind of spurred this thought process, and there's been all sorts of things that have been written about it. And probably in this time of coronavirus, there's been a lot that's been written about it. But I want you to think about this for a second. You know, uh, one thing that's important to realize is is that when, when there was all these things going on, when the Germans were bombing every night England, and all of that, that, you know, the people still got up in the morning and they went to work. They still had something that they had to do. And fear and adversity didn't cause them to cower. And that's something that I feel like is really important for you guys to recognize is that fear and adversity in your life is not something that should cause you to cower. You know, there's this uh, place in scripture in, in John 16, and I'm going to read John 16, 17 through 33. Christ, he's talking and he says, well, this begins before that. His disciples are talking, and he says, And then said some of his disciples among themselves, What is this that he has said unto us? A little while, and you shall not see me. And again, a little while, and you shall see me, because I go to the Father. And they said, Therefore, what is this that he saith a little while? We cannot tell what he saith. Now Jesus knew that they were desirous to ask him, and said unto them, Do you inquire of yourselves that I said a little while, and you shall not see me? And again, a little while, and you shall see me? Verily, verily, I say unto you that you shall weep and lament, but the world shall rejoice. You shall be sorrowful, but your sorrow shall be turned to joy. A woman, when she is in travail, hath sorrow, because her hour is come. But as soon as she is delivered of the child, she remembereth no more the anguish, for the joy that a man is born into the world. And now, and ye now have, therefore have sorrow. But I will see you again, and your heart shall rejoice, and your joy no man taketh from you. And in that day you shall ask me nothing. Verily I say unto you, whatsoever you shall ask the Father in my name, he will give it to you. Hitherto you have asked nothing in my name. Ask, and you shall receive, that your joy may be full. 
These things have I spoken to you in Proverbs. But the time cometh when I shall no more speak unto you in Proverbs, but I shall show you plainly of the Father. At that day you shall ask in my name. I say not unto you that I will pray to the Father for you, for the Father himself loveth you, because you have loved me, and have believed that I came out from God. I came forth from the Father, and am come into the world. I leave the world and go to the Father." His disciples said unto him, Lo, now speakest thou plainly, and speakest no proverb. And now we are sure that thou knowest all these things, and needest not that man should ask thee. By this we believe that thou camest forth from God. And Jesus answered them, Do ye now believe? Behold, the hour cometh, yea, is now come, that ye shall be scattered, every man to his own, and shall leave me alone. Yet I am not alone, because the Father is with me. These things have I spoken unto you, that in me ye might have peace." In the world you shall have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. You know, I want you to think about that for a second. You know, Jesus is sitting here talking, and this whole conversation, he was preparing his disciples for the fact that he was going to be taken by force, and he was going to be crucified. And afterwards, there was going to come a time where, as you look in Scripture, you know that the disciples, they were, they were concerned that they were going to be next. And they eventually went forward, and the whole book of Acts talks about how the gospel began to be spread by the work of the, of the apostles and all that. But, you know, we know that not very long after that, and if you know the story of all of the apostles, right, they all died, martyred, killed, tortured, terrible things in Christianity after that. But Christ was talking to them, and he says, I'm telling you this now so you know what is going to happen. Don't be surprised when the day comes that everybody is out to get you, that you are going to be facing great adversity. And what it did is it began to change their mindset. I want you to think about this. So I had talked about this this statement, keep calm and carry on. I decided I was going to uh, do a little bit of research about this. And I found this this article or this, uh, I think it was, uh, yeah, I guess it's an article, but this was, this was someone who who had written about this in, in uh, one of their dissertations for school. This this writer begins talking about this uh, this keep calm and carry on spirit, or London can take it, or a stiff upper lip, and saying that you know this was this was kind of a propaganda thing that uh, this blitz spirit was actually fake, and and makes this comment that you know as as this writer began to look through letters and things that the people who were experiencing this nonstop bombing and violence that was happening in in London and in Britain during World War II. They say that they they wanted propaganda and all the government propaganda wanted to make it seem like these people were cheerfully going on about their day, cheerfully going on about about their work and all of these things, despite the fact that bombs have been falling on them throughout the night. And this person says, that's not true. But, you know, this, this writer writes something that is even more important, and it's really where what I feel like Christ was encouraging his, his people to do, his uh, apostles and his disciples to do, and what I want to encourage you to do in times of adversity like we're facing right now, you know, keeping it all level. It says here that, says I, uh, the idea I immediately stumbled upon was the myth of the Blitz spirit, a concept created and indeed confirmed by the historian Angus Calder. He theorized that, in fact, what seemed to be high morale, in other words, people with lots of fighting spirit, mostly unfazed by the damage to their homes and lives, and with that the British keep calm and carry on concept, was in fact a grim willingness to carry on, or passive morale. This means that they had this supposed fighting spirit because they had to, because they had no other choice rather than because they wanted to carry on. You know, this person goes on and says that if you if you read through their letters and things like that, the people weren't happy about the circumstances. In fact, they struggled with it. They had difficulty about it. And so this person aims to write all this as if there was some terror 
terrible thing that was happening and, and the government or this whole concept of keep calm and carry on was built on a farce, but it really wasn't. It was built on a on an attitude that I want us to have. You know, the the Brits, you know, it says that that what they did is they just had this grim this grim willingness to carry on because they had no other choice. And you know, as men, as followers of Christ, this is what it is. You know, I don't think that we that we are wrong. If in times of adversity, if we don't look at it with cheerfulness, because even though the scriptures say, count it all joy when you fall into diverse temptations, I'm not the only one who finds it difficult when another challenge is set before me. We're always going to have challenges set before us. And a lot of those challenges make us just want to curl up in a ball and hide. I don't want to face this. And it's not joyous. But if we are men and if we are followers of Christ, we have a willingness to carry on, to face adversity, not because we love it, but because we are convicted by an expectation of something in front of us that requires us to keep it level. Doesn't matter what else is going on in this world, I have a responsibility to keep it level. I have a responsibility to work, to keep my my mind and my heart in tune with the Lord and His expectations, to not get angry and frustrated and bitter, all these things that, you know, right now, I could easily be angry and frustrated and bitter because my business is suffering, and I didn't cause it. The government caused it. And how many people have been motivated in their life to do all sorts of crazy things because they held within themselves some anger and bitterness and resentment because of adversity, and it changed the whole course of their life. But we're called to keep calm and carry on. Keep it all level. Doesn't matter what else the room that you're in looks like. Keep it all level. You know, uh, I'm going through a class right now. Uh, well, it's it's been on uh, on furlough as well because of the coronavirus. But I've been going on this class, and it's and I'm learning how to be a firefighter. And you know, I, I can't remember if I talked about this before or not. But you know, they do these things. It's called a skills course. You you are wearing all of your firefighting equipment: helmet, a Nomex hood. You're gonna uh, be wearing your um, your bunker coat, so it's a, a fire resistant coat, as you can imagine. It's heavy in order to resist flame and heat and all that sort of thing. It's very dense; it doesn't breathe very well. It's heavy and it and it's hot. You're wearing bunker pants, which have the same sort of material, and they're heavy. It makes walking around very difficult. Um, heavy duty boots that can withstand heat and and all that sort of stuff. The whole ensemble is very heavy, and as you put it on, you know your body loses the ability to cool itself. Right? I mean. Your, your sweat, you're going to begin to sweat profusely as soon as you do anything. And sweating is your body's natural way, obviously, to cool yourself down. And yet this doesn't let moisture in or out. And so you find yourself oftentimes kind of steaming inside of this. Then you do this course, and it's called a skills course. And what it is is you're going to replicate some of the activities that you would be doing, some physical activities that you'd be doing in firefighting. Oh, and by the way, you're going to put on and you're going to breathe through a mask, your SCBA. And so it's a mask that you throw on your face, and it seals to your face. It reduces your field of vision from, from what you have right now to a very narrow field of vision, and you're breathing through a tube. And it's on-demand air, which means it's not free-flowing. It means that there is actually effort that has to be put on. You have to physically suck a little bit to get air to flow in. And so there's a little bit of, of strain that it has to do with that, and you have to get used to the feeling of it because it's not like breathing like you do right now. You throw a pack on that's got a that's got an air canister on it, right? That you're breathing through this SCBA through, and it also has weight to it. And so you throw all these things on, and now you begin to do this course, and it's a physical course. And you're going to do things like you're going to pull tires, you're going to throw a, a line over your shoulder, and you're going to pull a tire 
uh, 100 yards one way. And then once you get there, you're going to turn around and you're going to hold it with your hands and you're going to pull it backwards 100 yards the other way. You're going to do all of this while you are, are breathing air. And so this is a, a process that is, uh, it's, it's incredibly taxing physically. And so, uh, you know, pulling the tires. And then you're going to go to a, a, another station where you're going to throw two, two um, folded up hose lines on either shoulder and two extra air tanks over your neck. And you're going to grab uh, two tools. You're going to grab a halligan. You're going to grab an axe. And now you're going to go climb, climb five flights of stairs and come back down. And then, you know, you're going to go over and you're going to do, um, you're going to do hand to hand. You're going to lift like 45 pounds. You're going to pull it all the way up two floors by a rope and down. And you're going to do that five or six times. And then you're going to go, you're going to use a, an eight pound sledgehammer and you're going to hit, you know, cars and tires and all that sort of stuff a bunch of times, you know, all the stuff that you're doing. And then you're going to get to a place where you're using a pike pole and a pike pole is a pole that on the end of it, it's got a, a point and then it's got a hook and you use it to bust holes in the ceiling and pull and pull down the the insulation and pull down the drywall so you can look to see if there's fire up in there you know and so what you're going to do is you're going to go to a station where you're doing this and you're going to have to cut holes in three-eighths inch plywood and all these things you're doing and I don't know if it sounds as, as taxing uh, as you listen to it as it truly is but I'm here to tell you it's exhausting and it's even more exhausting because as you do this your body's trying to sweat and cool yourself off and you can't cool yourself off you begin to fog up in your mask and so now what was your you know your already limited vision and now you can't hardly see anything and it's hard to breathe your breathing is on demand and you know and I found myself the very first time that I did this the very first time that I did this you know you have a mentor who's with you he's a fire Firefighter, and uh, and they're there and they're doing it with you. And he came to me and we got through a handful of these skills. And you know, and I'm I'm having trouble breathing. I can't breathe enough. And I just want with all my heart, I want to rip my mask off so I can breathe again. And I'm exhausted. And there's more to do. And he comes up to me and he says, "Listen, I want you to ask yourself these things." He says, first thing I want you to ask yourself is, "Are you hurt?" I said, "No, I'm not hurt." He says, "Okay, can you breathe?" "Yeah, I can breathe. It's just hard." "Okay, if you're not hurt." and you can breathe, you're okay. And so talk yourself out of this right now and tell yourself the most important things here. You're not hurt, and you can breathe. You're okay. And he, and he helped me to talk my way out of panic. And you know, this is something I want, I want you to consider as you find yourself in adversity in your life, and all of a sudden things begin to happen that seem to be overwhelming. Step back and take stock. Are the lights on in your house? Is there food in your refrigerator? Are you physically safe? You know, take a look at all these things. And then before you let yourself go on, on this pathway of panic and fear and all of these things, you know, you do this assessment and you see, you know, on the SWAT team, the SWAT team for every uh, coordinated or every, every operation that we had pre-planning and we had a briefing for, you know, we would have several different briefings. We'd have a briefing from the entry team, I'm sorry, we would start with have a briefing from the scouts, the guys who had gone and they had looked at the at the location we were going to and they'd tell us pertinent information. Then the entry team would do their briefing. And then the perimeter and sniper team would do their briefing. And then at the end, we'd have the medics do their briefing. And the medics would always end whatever they were going to say, whatever they were going to, to advise us where they were going to be or what resources were available. They would always end like this. They would say, stay up, stay in the fight. Get to cover if you can. Remember your self-aid and buddy aid. And if you can't get out, I will come and get you. You know, and they were talking to you about what you want to do so that you don't give in to panic and fear, how you keep it level in times of difficulty and adversity. And, you know, as men of leadership, as men of leadership, you know, realize that people are looking at you. And so if all of a sudden all the circumstances that surround you begin to cause you 
to begin to to panic, to begin to uh, react negatively, begin to uh, become frozen with fear or with frustration or whatever it is. Understand that those who are around you, they're going to begin looking and they're going to begin emulating those things. But are you okay? Can you breathe? Are you injured? Can you stay up and stay in this fight? Can you keep going forward? And can you keep doing it, not necessarily with a cheerful heart, but can you keep calm and carry on? I have a grim willingness that I'm going to keep going forward because there's no other option for me. One of these things that I feel like is, 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 is essential, how, how it is that we, that we deal with adversity and trouble, is that we have to be able to look back and draw on either previous experiences that we personally have had where we overcame because of Christ's working with us and encouraging and helping us through trials and difficulties. We either draw back on that, or if you can in your life, draw up on a time where you overcame because of Christ working and, and, and interceding on your behalf, then you draw back on the experiences of others, your mentor, your friends, someone else who has overcome through Jesus Christ, not who has never had any trouble, but who has overcome adversity. You know, I think about that, and there is a scripture that I that I find myself drawing back on frequently because, you know, I've, I've had adversity in my life that has been very difficult. You know, times where I had wondered, am I going to be able to take care of my family financially? Am I going to be able to uh, to keep my lights on at my house? Can I pay my mortgage? Are we going to be out of a home or all these things? Where for quite a while, every every job I tried to get, it didn't work out for whatever reason. Sometimes it was just that, you know, at the time when, when I put in my application, they decided, ah, you know what, we're not going to do, we're, you know, we're going to go ahead and do away with that particular job title. And sometimes it was is that, you know, I, I had a job offered to me and some, some technicality came up, had nothing to do with me. All these things kept coming. And I found myself challenged. Do I really believe that God God is going to be able to take me through this. I believe very strongly the scripture that talks about, and you find it in Matthew, and you also find it in the fifth in the in the in the Book of Mormon in Third Nephi chapter five. You know where it says, "You seek first the kingdom of God, and all these things shall be added to you." Christ says, "There's all these things that the world is concerned about: clothing and food and all of these things." He says, "I know how to take care of that." I think back on on, a, on an experience that my uncle had talked about, you know, that, that he remembered that, where, where Christ talks about, he says, consider all the birds of the fields, consider all these birds, he says, I know how to feed them. And he was talking about how here in Phoenix, you know, in the, in the wintertime, we overseed our, our lawns so that we can have ryegrass, we can have green grass all year round. We have Bermuda grass in the summer, and in the wintertime, we have ryegrass. And the way you do it is you throw out seed. And one of the frustrating things, he said, you know, I hate it because I throw out all this seed, I spend money on seed, and I'm going to water my lawn and all that. And I look out my window, and there are birds that are out there just eating that seed. And he says, but I thought about this scripture. He says, and I thought, you know what? I have to let them eat, because God even provides for the birds. And how much more will he provide for you? And so I found myself, as I was just talking about, that I was in this, I've been in these situations throughout my life, especially in the past several years, where I don't know how I'm going to do this. I'm faced with this adversity and my heart wants to panic, but I have this responsibility, right? I have to keep it all level. Doesn't matter what that building, what that room around me looks like, what the walls and the ceilings look like, what I do and what I put in, the product that I put out has to be level. And so I remember back and and I, and I and I look at the scripture that there was this time where Christ, he was talking to his apostles and it says that he sent them out and he says, I'm telling you that when you go out, he says, I don't want you to take... I don't want you to take any any food. I don't want you to take an extra coat. I don't want you to take any money. None of these things. You go out, and he says, you go out and you preach the gospel. And he says, I will take care of you, but you don't take anything with you. And it says that the disciples, they went out, and they came back, and they said, all these amazing things happened. You know, everything you told us was true. And so then some time goes on. 
And Christ is, is getting ready, and he's talking to his servants, and he's preparing them for the fact that he is going to be taken, again, as we talked about before, by force, and he's going to be crucified, and, and he was going to die. And they themselves, the disciples, were going to end up having needs, and people were going to be going against them. And so in Luke, in the 22nd chapter, this, this one verse, in the 35th verse, He's talking to his disciples, and he wants to encourage them. And he says, I want you to draw back on this previous experience. It says, he said unto them, when I sent you without purse and without script, without shoes, lacked ye anything? And they said, nothing. They didn't lack anything. When God was with them, and when their faith and their trust was in him, they lacked nothing. They didn't lack a single thing. And so I've had to draw back on that. Every time there's another challenge and another adversity in my life that makes me want to go curl up in a ball, makes me want to go hide, I don't want to face it. It's not fair. I want off this roller coaster. Part of me examining and part of me doing with this mentor that I had, this fire mentor, okay, are you hurt? Can you breathe? Then you can go forward. Can you draw back on these times where God has shown that he is faithful? There is no reason to believe that he can't do it yet again. And we can move forward in the face of adversity. Draw back on those times. If you don't have them, then you can't readily draw back on those times where God interceded on your behalf and helped you through times of adversity and unknown. Draw back on my experience. I'm not lying. God has provided abundantly. All these changes and things that happen in my life and questions about finances and jobs and futures and all that, and I'll tell you now, my lifestyle has not changed. I don't make nearly the amount of money, you're not even close to the amount of money that I did as a police officer, but my life hasn't changed. I didn't find any independent wealth. I didn't find a money tree in my backyard, none of those things. I found God who is able to provide. His promises are sure and true. And so when all the world is going on around me as it is right now with this coronavirus nonsense and whatever comes next, you listen to this a year from now, it may just be a memory, something that we talk about in past tense, but there will be something else. And when that something else comes and you find yourself challenged, remember that we as men have a responsibility. Keep it all level. And there is good reason and good evidence why we can trust that God will be with us in that. We should never doubt it. And so I want you to think about that today. As you, as you listen to this, I know so many of you are going to listen to this as soon as I put it out, and you know exactly all the turmoil and all the challenges that you're facing today. And you know when we, when we beat it today, guys, when we beat it today, there will be something else tomorrow. But we can find ourselves more strengthened for the fight, more able to see what God is able to do in our lives and able to, to encourage and strengthen those around us. I feel like the, the experiences that I've gone through in my life, if nothing else, if nothing else, it gives me a foundation, some credence that I can speak about how we overcome to other people and, and maybe be a motivation and a help and a strength to them. So I want you to consider these things today. I want you to consider this, that no matter what it is that happens in life, no matter what the adversity or challenge that you face, we have this responsibility to keep it all level keep calm and carry on. We have a grim willingness. It doesn't matter what's going on. We have a grim willingness because we've committed ourselves to Jesus Christ, and we didn't just do it only if everything was good, only if there was no challenges, only if my job was paying me well, my wife and I were getting along perfectly, my kids were making all the best decisions. That's not That's not the promise we made to Jesus. That's not the promise that we made. And if we remember in, in the book of Mosiah, in the book of Mormon, in the ninth chapter, it talks about all these things. When the people, they went to be, to be baptized, and it says, you know, the, the man Alma, he told him, he said, your promise is that you're going to stand as a witness at all times, that you're going to mourn 
with those who mourn and that you're going to comfort those who stand in need of comfort. You're going to do all these things in the face of all sort of adversity. That is your promise. And may we always be men of our word. May we always be men who are motivated by the promise that is set before us by Jesus Christ, the expectation that is before us. It drives us forward. It causes us to endure all of these things because we're convicted and convinced of the fact that God has some amazing blessing in store for us eternally and those blessings he looks to give us here in this temporal life. So consider all these things and arise from the dust and be men.